And Father, we pray that you would, you would just re- confirm that on each of our hearts this morning as we, as we come into worship today after a long week of so many different things, Lord. We can come in sometimes feeling just weak and tired and burdened and distracted. And yet, Lord, we come because we want to praise you, but we want our hearts and our faith strengthened and confirmed in you. And so, Father, we pray that you would do that in us this morning, especially as we, we come to your word. May you, may you push anything aside that would hinder us from hearing you speak through your word, but we pray that as we hear your word spoken this morning, that it would, that it would move in our hearts and strengthen our faith, confirm our faith, and send us out of here ready to follow you and serve you for another week. And so we pray that, that you would do that and that you would speak very clearly to each one of us this morning. Father, we pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, we're coming to the end of John chapter 4 this morning. And so if you have Bibles with you, you can open up to John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. Uh, the scripture will be up on the screen, um, but it's always good to have a Bible open in front of you as well. John four forty-three through 54. After the two days Jesus spent in Samaria, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judah, from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, you may go, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, The fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea, to Galilee. Well, one of, one of the questions that, that comes up over and over and over again in the Gospel of John is, what is true faith? Or, or to use John's language, he doesn't talk about faith so much in the Gospel of John, he talks about belief. What is true belief? Or what does it mean to believe in Jesus? And we're going to talk about it a lot because John says it's the whole point of the entire gospel. It's 21 chapters long, and at the very end he says, these are all written, everything I've written is written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 
He says, everything in here, every story I'm writing in here, every little detail I'm putting in here, it's all so that you would believe. Um, But one of the interesting things happens is John, throughout the gospel, keeps pointing out all these little instances where people say they believe but don't actually believe. We talked about that a few weeks ago after, after Jesus did signs and miracles in Cana People believed, but Jesus didn't entrust himself to them because it wasn't a true belief. And, you know, we we encounter this regularly just in our own day-to-day lives, don't we? As we go around and we're running into people, well, I run into people all the time who say, of course I believe in Jesus. And you start to talk to them more, you start to ask them about it more, and uh, the more you talk about it, the more you get the sense that I don't think they believe. I don't, they, they think they believe, but I don't think they really believe. And so John shows us examples of that as well. And, it, and it's hard because on the one hand, they, they think they believe, but, but their belief just doesn't land in the right place. And, and it's a big deal because true belief is required. That's one of the things that John talks about. True belief is required if you're going to have the life that he talks about. Uh, false belief doesn't lead to life. It's only a true belief. So, so we really have to understand this. Like, What does it mean to truly believe? And we're going to talk about it throughout the rest of the sermon, but I'll give you a little hint that's on the screen right now. John tells us, um, like, what is his goal? It's, his goal isn't just to help you believe generally, His goal is that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, or he would also say that he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so John's not saying he just wants you to believe that Jesus is powerful. He doesn't say he just wants you to believe that Jesus was a good guy or a smart man or a good teacher. That's not what he wants you to believe. He wants you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And if you believe that, then you get this life that he talks about, life that you experience now, but life that also leads through throughout eternity. Um, but you have to believe these things kind of at the foundation. Um, if you don't believe that Jesus is the Christ or the Son of God, then it's not a true belief. And, and that's kind of what's happening in this in this story, and it's set up kind of interestingly, and the way the story is set up has caused like theologians to write a lot about this. And I'll be honest, it bothered me up until this week. I finally think I maybe understand what's going on. Because um, remember, Jesus was on this journey to Galilee, and he stops in Samaria, and he has a really good interaction with this woman, and then people come out of the town, and Jesus spends a couple days with them in Samaria. And a bunch of people say, we believe now in, in Jesus. And then it says this. My clicker's not working again, Shar. After the two days that he spent in Samaria, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. Now, this bothers people, and it bothers people like me, because there's parts of it that on the surface don't seem to make sense. 
it says, okay, Jesus went to Galilee, and it says the reason he went to Galilee, right? That's what F-O-R, for, says. It's giving the reason he went to Galilee is that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. And you're like, what? He's going to this place where people are not going to honor him. Like, that's the reason. That just, that doesn't seem to make sense to me. And then it says, when he came to Galilee, they welcomed him. And it's like, well, what in the world? I thought they weren't going to honor him. So why is he going to a place where they're not going to honor him, but then when he gets there, they they welcome him? Like, this seems to be a problem. And and I've looked at it for so many years, I could never figure it out, and somebody finally gave me some help this year. (laughs) There's hope, you know, that we can eventually figure some of these things out. And, And what really helped me to understand this passage more was remembering what happened you know, a few sermons ago at the beginning of chapter 4, um, remembering why Jesus started this journey in the first place, why he left Judea and is going to Galilee. He's, he, it says at the very beginning of the chapter, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although he wasn't baptizing, his disciples were baptizing, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And so, so Jesus begins this journey from Judea to Galilee because people were flocking to him and it was causing problems. Remember we talked about that? The Pharisees saw these people going to Jesus. It was getting, they were getting angry. They were feeling threatened. And so Jesus leaves town uh, because he knows that they're going to try to kill him and it's not his time yet. And so he heads to Galilee to get away from all of this attention that he's getting. So then it makes sense why he would go to Galilee, a place where he has no honor, because he's trying to get away from the crowds. He's trying to get away from all of the people who are coming to him. So he's like, I'm going to go to Galilee. I'm going to go back to my hometown where nobody's going to honor me because I'm going to get away from the crowds for a little bit. And it's, it's something I don't think we talk about enough, uh, but, but if you read through the Gospels and pay close attention, Jesus does this quite a bit. There's actually quite a few times where Jesus sees the crowd coming to him and he takes off and goes the other way. The crowd still follow him and eventually he's like, we gotta, we gotta preach to these people, we gotta care for these people. But, but there's often where he, he goes away from the crowds. It kind of breaks our brain because we think, we want the crowds, we want all the people, we want it. And Jesus is like, sometimes I just, I'm getting away for a little bit. And so it seems like he's kind of getting away from all of the crowds, all of the attention for a little bit, trying to kind of lay low for a while in Galilee. But then he comes into Galilee and it says, they welcomed him. And so was he wrong that they weren't going to honor him? Or uh, the answer is no. (laughs) Like First rule of the Bible, Jesus is never wrong, right? Just so, so what he's, Jesus knew they weren't going to honor him, but they welcome him. So what's going on? And, and the best understanding is um, there's a very big difference between welcoming someone and honoring them. It's a huge difference. And, uh, and we, kind of, we kind of know the, the difference between there. And um, look at, look at the, the reason why they, they welcomed him. It says, when he came into Galilee, they welcomed him. Why? They saw all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So they had been at the Passover when Jesus was in Jerusalem. They had seen the signs that Jesus did 
in Jerusalem, and so they, they welcomed him. And, and they're like, and besides that fact, last time Jesus was in Galilee, what did he do? He took 180 gallons of water and turned it into wine. And so they're like, what else is this guy going to do? This, you know, let, let's welcome him in. And that's, that's the difference between welcoming and honoring. Um, the, it's really easy to welcome someone in, help them feel invited. Like, come on in, come on in, if you think you're going to get something from them, right? And uh, I don't mean to like keep bashing car salesmen, but I just did that for a while and, and hated it. But, but that's why when you like walk into a dealership, do you feel welcomed? Yes. Do you feel honored? Well, they try to. Like, they actually teach you tactics to try to make them feel special and honored, you know. Why? They want you to buy a car, (laughs) right? Why are they welcoming you into the the dealership? They want you to buy a car. So they're going to make you feel comfortable. Like, do you want coffee? Do you want a donut? Do you want to, you know, something to keep you warm? Like, let's feel welcomed because we want you to buy something. We want something from you. You know you don't feel honored, right? And trust me, as a, I only was a car salesman for two months because it was terrible. But, but people don't feel honored by you. They're like running by you, trying to get away from you as fast as you can. You're like chasing them across the parking lot. It's bad. Because you know that you're being welcomed but not honored. And I think that's what Jesus is experiencing in Galilee. They're welcoming, they're welcoming him into Galilee but they're saying, like, what are we going to get from this guy? We've seen him do some cool stuff. He's made us a bunch of wine. He's done a bunch of miracles before. What's he going to do for us? And so they welcome him, but they don't honor him. And, and then the rest of the story kind of shows an example of this, right? The, Jesus comes to Cana, which is a town in the region of Galilee. Like, Galilee's like a county. Cana's a town. He comes to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, it's about 15, 20 miles away, there was an official whose son was ill. And when he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for, who, for he was at the point of death. And so this, this man has heard about Jesus. He hears Jesus is in the area. He's heard that Jesus has done all these miracles. He, he has this child who's sick and and about dying, and so he's ready to do whatever he has to do for his child to be healed, right? And as a parent, you're like, yep, that's what I would do. So he he takes off, makes this 20-mile journey or so to to Cana, and he comes to Jesus and says, heal my son, please. And Jesus responds with, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. I wish I knew the tone of this because it's, it's hard to, there's, there's different ways this could be said. Um, on the one hand, you could take it as Jesus is just making a statement to this man. Like, you will never believe unless you see a sign. And he's just saying it as a matter of fact. So then you would think, okay, Jesus is going to do a sign to help him believe. But, but really, what I think most commentators understand, most people understand is that Jesus is actually uh, rebuking the man, saying, the only reason you're here is because of the wonders that you want to see. Uh, a guy named Herman Ritterboss has a great, 
explanation of this. He says, Jesus' complaint is rather that all that moved the man to come to Jesus was Jesus' miracles, as if Jesus responded to the guy saying, if I didn't perform miracles, you would have no interest in me. You would not believe, and believe is in quotes, in me. And so Jesus is rebuking the man saying, the, the only reason you're here is because you've heard about what I did in Cana. You've, you've heard about the miracles that I've done in Jerusalem. Um, so you, you, just, you, all, you just want something from me. And uh, what's actually also really important in this is that it's something that's hard to pick up. Uh, the NIV that we read at the beginning kind of translated it a little bit different to help us understand this, but um, we don't pick it up because in English we don't use you in the plural. We kind of do in the Midwest. So here's my Midwest translation of what Jesus said. Um, Unless you guys see signs and wonders, you guys will not believe. That's what Jesus says, actually. He uses this plural, you guys. Y'all, down south. In the Midwest, you guys. And isn't like East Coast, like use guys? I don't know. Um, But anyways, what's interesting is this guy, one guy, comes to Jesus and asks for a miracle. And Jesus says, unless you all see signs and miracles, none of y'all will believe. And so he's actually not just rebuking this guy, he's rebuking a group of people for only looking for signs and miracles. And, and on the one hand, he's rebuking probably the people of Galilee who welcomed him for his signs and miracles but didn't honor him for who he is. But he's also, in a bigger, more general picture, rebuking the Jews. Right? There, as you go through the Bible, like Paul will say, the Jews demand signs. And Jesus is rebuking them, saying, why are you so focused on the signs? All you care about are the signs. And all you see in me is kind of what Jesus is saying. All you see in me is a miracle man. A man who can do something for you, maybe. Kind of treating me like a vending machine. Like you have something, you can come to me and I'll just pop it out for you. And he's saying, can't you see me that I'm something more? That I'm someone more? That I'm someone who's to be not just welcomed, but someone who's to be honored. And what's interesting is, like, some people have kind of shuddered at this because thinking, like, why would Jesus respond this way to this poor guy? Like, this guy's kind of at his wit's end. I mean, he's desperate. He's just, he's probably weak and weary. He just traveled, like, 20 miles to go see Jesus. Like, heal my son. And Jesus responds like this? Like, couldn't have he been softer, gentler, more compassionate, like why, why did he have to rebuke this man? Um, and the answer is, he, he did it because he loved him. Because the whole story is not just about Jesus healing the man's son. That's, like We get caught up in that too, but that's not really what the story is about. The story is about Jesus showing this man who he really is. Not just a miracle worker, but someone more. And if Jesus would have just healed the son and not corrected him, the man would have just went home and said, see, I knew he was a miracle worker. And then he would have went off and he would have not believed. And he would have not had a true faith. He would have not had eternal life. And he maybe would have got his son back for a little bit, but then he would have also lost his son. 
for eternity. And so Jesus wants to lead this man from this kind of fake belief that brought him there into a true belief, and so he rebukes him to get his mind going in the right direction so that when he sees Jesus more clearly, he can know like, oh, this guy's more than just my personal vending machine. This guy's more than just a miracle worker. He is, he's someone not to be just welcomed. He's someone to be honored. Someone he can truly believe in. And yet, the guy doesn't get it right away. None of us get it right away. Um, and he just, and the guy says, sir, come down before my child dies, right? The guy's just like, I don't want to hear about all of this problems you have with the Jews. I don't want to hear about your issue with them seeking miracles. I don't even want to hear about you frustrated with me seeking miracles. Just heal my son. And Jesus says, go, your son will live. Which, what really hit me this week is, we know the rest of the story, so we think this is a really beautiful line. But if you just pretend like you don't know the rest of the story, this is not the answer the guy wanted. Because Jesus doesn't say, fine, I'll heal your son. He says, your son's not going to die. That's very different. The, the man, he's saying, go home. Like, you're, the, the, as far as the man knows, his son could be sick for months. And, but he just knows, the only comfort he has is, okay, my son's not going to die from this. I guess that's comforting, but, but I wanted you to heal him. Like, I wanted you to come to my house and, and heal my son. And Jesus says, go. Your son will live. And I think Jesus does it for a, a few different reasons. Um, because at the core of why Jesus is saying it this way and doing it this way is, He's correcting this man's, all of his false understandings of who Jesus is. He, he came to Jesus thinking that Jesus was just a miracle worker, right? And he came to Jesus thinking, obviously, that Jesus needed to make the trip to Capernaum in order to heal his son. Like, Jesus wasn't quite powerful enough to do it from a distance. And Jesus is like, you know, I'm not going to play any of those games. Just, you need to go home to your son. He's not going to die which requires the man not only to kind of change some of his understanding of who Jesus is, but it requires him to exhibit a different level of faith, doesn't he? He has to now trust Jesus. Okay, he told me to go. I'm going to go. He said my son's going to live. I'm going to have to trust that he's going to live. I don't understand what that looks like, but I just have to believe him and, and obey him. And he does. It says the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and then went on his way. And, and this is like a step in the right direction. This isn't even all the way there yet. John words it you, and just to kind of, he believed the word. He didn't believe in Jesus. He just believed the word that Jesus spoke. He believed, okay, my son's not going to die. This isn't what I came for, but I guess this is what I got. And so he believes and he goes back home. And on his way home, we read, as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, 
Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And what I love about this part, as I think up to this point, the man was just confused. He didn't understand Jesus. He didn't know Jesus. And then this happens, and it really takes everything he thought about Jesus and just kind of like blows it up in the air, right? He thought he could go to Jesus and ask for a miracle, and Jesus would do a miracle. He didn't get the miracle at first, but now he does. He, he thought, he went to Jesus, he thought Jesus would have to like travel to Capernaum to do a healing, and now he's seen that Jesus healed his son from like 20 miles away. And, and like everything he kind of thought he knew about Jesus has kind of been blown up. And it, what happened is it kind of cleared the way. All of his false understandings of Jesus are cleared away in this moment, and it leads him to this opportunity to really finally believe. And, and John says, and he himself believed. And he just, and, and all his household. And, and John writes this to show us that like, this is the point where the man believes. Like, really believes. Not like, kind of believes. He just believes. Because all of that false understanding of Jesus has pushed to the side, and now he knows this guy's not just a miracle worker. He's not just my personal vending machine. He, he's not just some good teacher, some good guy. This is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. And he believed. And, and when he first came to Jesus, he just believed that Jesus could do miracles. But now he believes that he's more than that, right? When he left Jesus, he believed that Jesus maybe could tell him some things about the future, like your son's not going to die. And he, so he believed that and left. But now he believes in Jesus. Not just things that he could do, not just the things that he said, but in Jesus himself. And what's more beautiful, I think, is it's not just the man that believes, but the whole household believes, um, which is a bigger deal than we think. Um, because like in our brain, we think household today, mom, dad, two kids, white picket fence, whatever, right? Um, but back then, a household was like the family business. Like if you've ever watched Downton Abbey, right? Like the household was servants and multiple families and like this was their livelihood. It was a massive group of people working together to, to care for each other, provide for their needs. There were servants and all of this. And it says they all believed because they knew what had happened. They had been watching their master's son almost die and they knew that the master had, had went to talk to Jesus and they knew that the master had left and, and then they saw the son, and the son was healed, and then they had this understanding of this is not just some guy, this is the Messiah, the Son of God, and they, they believed. And part of the household that believed is the man's son. He believed. He has eternal life with his father. It, it's one of these just really powerful things about what, what true faith, uh, true belief does it, it it really just kind of ripples itself out into our into our families into those around us um, and and one of the powerful things that this is 
teaching us, though, that is that true belief is more than it's more than just believing that Jesus is like more than just believing that He existed. That that's not true belief, right? True belief is not believing that Jesus was a good teacher or a good guy or some powerful miracle worker. That's that's not true belief either. It's not even just believing some of the things that Jesus said and not believing some of the other things that Jesus said. Um, And true belief isn't based on this kind of idea of Jesus that we just create up in our own head. True belief is in Jesus himself, the person, and the real person. Not We don't get to make him in our own image. It's, it's the real Jesus. We have to believe in him. And it's a belief that starts off deep down right here that he's the Messiah, that he's the Son of God, and as John has already said, that he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And because you see Jesus that way, because you believe Jesus that way, you do more than just welcome him. You honor him. Because he's the son of God. Like, you don't come to the son of God and try to treat him like a vending machine. That's not what we act. You come to the son of God and you get down on your face. And you say, I'm sorry. I've messed up. Forgive me. Heal me, please. Renew me. And then you give your life to him. You say, I'm, I'm going to follow you. I will go where you tell me to go. I will do what you tell me to do. I will say what you, I'm just, I will go. I follow you. Like that's true belief. Not coming to him, demanding of him, coming to him and saying, I know who you are. I believe this is who you are. I'm, I'm all yours. I'm following you. Let's come to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence with the prayer that is prayed. We believe. Help our unbelief. Father, we recognize that none of us come into your presence with a perfect faith, a perfect belief. And we confess that to you. We, we admit that. And we ask your forgiveness. You've asked us to believe in you perfectly, and we don't. And we we ask your forgiveness. We often try to create you in our own image. We try to use you to just meet all of our needs that we want. And we don't honor you as the Son of God and the Messiah. So we ask your forgiveness. And we ask that you would not only just forgive us and cleanse us, but that your spirit would move in our lives and in our hearts. That your spirit would, would strengthen and, and confirm our faith in you, our belief in you. May may we have a true belief that you are the Messiah, that you are the Son of God, that you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And may your Spirit move in us so that we would live that way in the world. And may the Spirit move in us so that he would walk us through this life and bring us to the eternal life that we have in you. Father, do that work in us, we pray. We believe, but help our unbelief. And all God's people said, amen.